Thank you so very much for coming this afternoon. Um, I'm going to hopefully be uh, making these classes uh, a presentation in a very general way of spirituality with the uh, hope that, uh, I mean, we could all use a refresher course on the basics at all times. And that if you have any friends or anyone else who would uh, be somewhat interested in uh, what you're pursuing in your life, they can also come here and maybe get some spiritual nourishment. Uh, as you know from my uh, approach to uh, preaching, I'm pretty technical kind of guy. I get down into the to the details uh, in a rather comprehensive way. But this these Saturday afternoon presentations will be more of a uh, a general introduction, but they won't lack the spiritual substance that can nourish a deeper understanding. So they'll, they'll satisfy uh, in both ways, at least that's our hope. So spirituality. What do we mean when we say spirituality? Well, what do we mean when we even say our experience of life? What is it that uh, that enthuses mankind in their various pursuits? And we can see that, generally speaking, we're all looking for pleasure. We're all looking to uh, to in, to have a, a fruitful and enjoyable life. Uh, we don't find, except for some rare psychological exceptions. The majority of people are are pursuing um, a happy existence and a uh, fulfilling existence and one that uh, that satisfies them. But we can observe in human society, and our observation can also go beyond human society to, you know, the lower species of life that uh, the nature of different living entities' enjoyment uh, varies. Um, so for our discussion here, let's, let's look primarily at, at human beings. And if we look at our, our species, we see that not all in our species are satisfied um, in their pursuit of enjoyment or fulfillment in the same way. Some find fulfillment uh, in a very, uh, um, what we would call very cultured way. They enjoy reading. They enjoy uh, becoming educated. They want to increase their, their knowledge. Uh, they, uh, they want to increase uh, perhaps some, some skill in, uh, in the arts, music, or dance, theater, and so many ways, um, 
other people are just content with with a simpler life, uh, raise a family, raise their children, uh, there's uh, become gainfully employed in such a way that they can um, just do that. They're completely satisfied with that. They don't need a big college education. They don't need to be a virtuoso in, uh, in this or that. And uh, we also, unfortunately, notice in our human society, some people that are really, they enjoy what we would call the the baser uh, instincts they they like to exploit other people they like to uh, they like to uh, get a free ride so to speak uh, they're only out for uh, what we call uh, baser baser animal enjoyments that's that's where they they take their pleasure but I don't think any of us can deny that everyone's looking to fulfill their concept of pleasure, their concept of enjoyment. Every, every human being is striving for that. And as I said, sometimes the psychology of, is such that some people that believe that their enjoyment is, uh, is making other people suffer. Some people believe their enjoyment is forcing themselves to suffer. Uh, so uh, some believe that the only enjoyment they can have is by making other people happy and serving them uh, selflessly, we would say, uh, and neglecting their own personal needs for the, for the benefit of the greater good or the greater whole. Some look to this just in, a, in a, a familiar familiar manner, just in their family. Some extend that to their community. Some extend it a little bit further. Some, some want to rule the world and, uh, and serve humanity uh, by, uh, by providing uh, for everyone in human society. So there's quite a variety of different concepts when it comes to attaining fulfillment and attaining pleasure in the world. And uh, from our background, and by just taking a very uh, detached view of what's happening in the world around us, we can see that and the great sages have confirmed that these enjoyments are in three, can be broken down into three basic areas. People that enjoy through the mode of goodness, through cleanliness, godliness, self-sacrifice. Those that enjoy in the mode of passion, through acquisition, through um, uh, attainment of, of uh different uh, goals uh, and some enjoy as i said through taking advantage what we would call they enjoy in ignorance they enjoy intoxication they enjoy uh you know um, so many what we call baser baser instincts so these three areas are there enjoyment in the good of, mode of goodness passion and ignorance 
But if we are a little bit introspective, if we take any any time to to look at our existence and the existence of those that we're acquainted with, that we have a knowledge of. And of course, now in this modern age, our acquaintance can go out quite a bit <laughs> with modern technology. Uh, we can find out, we can become very acquainted with so many people uh, in the world that we may not even know directly. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing what people are allowed, willing to share <laughs> you know, with the new technology and, and uh, as far as becoming acquainted with them, sometimes you say, maybe you don't want to go quite that far. <laughs> don't really need to be that acquainted with you, but, uh, you know. So, but what we notice, and this is just, again, we're speaking in a general, a very general way. Uh, uh, what we notice is no matter where various personalities seek to find enjoyment and, and fulfillment in life, no matter where they go for that fulfillment and that pleasure, it does not endure. It can last for some time. It can actually, it could last for a whole lifetime, but the life that we're living, that itself does not endure. So I can be wealthy and be born with a silver spoon in my mouth and die with the same wealth. But so nothing changed. I was wealthy and enjoyed wealth throughout my life, but the life does come to an end. And I don't know what's on the other side. I don't know if next time around the wealth will be there or not. Um, so that's the nature of this world. No, on, on every platform, our pursuit for self-satisfaction, for pleasure, for fulfillment is cut short at some time or another. It's, it doesn't matter. No matter how much love we have for family members, for our spouses, no matter how much love we have in so many different ways for our children, for our, uh, you know, our extended family, our co-workers, our closest of friends, no matter how deep those relationships go, even to our dogs and our cats. It doesn't matter. All those things come to an end. All of them. That's our experience directly, and that's our experience in observing everyone around us. Problem. Definitely a problem. Doesn't seem right to us. It doesn't... It's hard to psychologically... <laughs> Accept that that's all there is. That here I am today and tomorrow I will be gone and everyone and everything and every and every 
accomplishment that I've had in life will be dust in the wind, blown away. All of it. It's all gone. So there's a reason the great sages, and it doesn't matter what tradition, what mystic tradition that we look at, all the great sages say there's a reason for such discontent on our part because there is something else. So generally in life, we have a certain thirst for knowledge and that thirst for knowledge is driven by the fact that knowledge generally brings a greater level of enjoyment to us. Now, if we look at knowledge as acquired by going outward, by going out into the world, how much knowledge can we acquire and how is that knowledge acquired? Well, it's generally acquired with our senses and the head sense, the mind, puts the pieces together and, and, and we arrive at a certain conclusion. Now, in material science, all that, all that is known is known by going outward. All of it is. And that, if you look going outward, we can make some great strides for improving our level of enjoyment, or well, what we would call as a standard of living. We look, we look. If you look back over just recent history, go back a, you know, a few hundred years, and the advancement of technology and this and that. Uh, of course, now it's starting to turn on us, but that's just within the last, you know, few decades. But the hundreds of years before that, it was a, a natural progression one stage after another after another of material advancement, we would say, in knowledge, material advancement in, in medical knowledge, in scientific knowledge, in literary knowledge, in, in psychological knowledge. We've advanced and we've, we're better for that acquisition of knowledge. But again, it can only take us so far. And we can see that sometimes it takes us to such a point that it, it turns on us. It turns. It turns on society in general. Uh, so much strives are there in, in medical science, but sometimes you don't... An extension of your life is an extension of misery, n not the opposite, which is, well, you just want to live long. Well, you might want to live long, but you might, might not want to live long on a respirator. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we can see now with, with modern science, it's become so advanced in, in human society that, that um, it just gets the better of us. To the point that we see, well, I can become comfortable by exploiting the, the environment. And it's great. 
up to the point that you exploit the environment to the point that the environment has nothing more to give. There's no more fish in the ocean and the fish in the ocean you've polluted because you've misused your, your science to make uh, a combination of chemicals into plastic and now the plastic is going into your oceans and your fish are eating the, the plastic and, you know, and then you're eating the fish and now you're becoming diseased with, with things you don't even know that weren't there 50, 70 years ago. You know, you look back at the, the Wild West when, when man first went across this continent, the United States, and, and did we have all of the diseases we have today and we just didn't know it? Or do we have new diseases today that we've brought on ourselves by our exploitative nature to take and to take and to not give back? But this is not a class about uh, those things because it doesn't matter. Even if you have the perfect arrangement, even if you live in the perfect society, even if everything is absolutely perfectly arranged, we're still confronted with these difficulties. Again, the sages have said the difficulty of birth. Well, what's difficult of birth? Well, I don't know, but everybody that I've seen, I haven't seen a lot of live births, but I've seen some on TV and all of them, you come screaming into this world, you know, so there's birth. There's another problem with birth. How'd I get here? Why was your birth, why wasn't I born with a silver spoon in my mouth? Why was I born in this society over here where there's no food? I don't even live for six months and I'm starved to death or I die of dysentery in this environment. And another person is born in the good old US of A and they're, you know, they're a happy camper as opposed to me being born in Africa or or some other third world country, perhaps. So birth sometimes is, is a, good, a good thing, sometimes is a bad thing. But the problem is, I don't make the determination. I don't decide where I want to be born, how I'm going to be born, in what society, in what family, whether I'm going to have uh, everything that life has to offer laid at my feet or whether I'm going to have to scrimp and to scrape, uh, scrape and to whatever, just to get by, just to, just to keep my body alive. I have to, you know, eat, eat, uh, you know, worms from the soil just to, just to make it from day to day. We don't know where this birth is going to be. Now, most of us here, we're, we're like, well, we're, I'm okay. But you don't know. You just don't know. And death, no one's got out of it yet. No one's been able to avoid it. Thousands and thousands of years of, of human advancement, and still they can't solve this death problem. So how good is our science? It's, it's falling short because no one wants that one. 
No one wants death. No one wants to grow old. And no one wants disease, which one day you're fine, and the next day you're laying on your back in the hospital and under and, and wondering why this or that internal organ is not working or why you can't even remember who you were yesterday or where you came from. You, I mean, so birth, death, old age, disease, problem. Definitely a problem. So all of the knowledge that we've acquired in dealing with these problems and in dealing with seeking pleasures in life has come to us both individually and collectively, collectively meaning we are able to collect knowledge from the experiences of others. So we, we have libraries full, full of books. Go to the library and, and try, to, try to acquire all the knowledge in just one small area one small field of inspection, whether it be, uh, what did you say, micro, microbiotic, macrobiotic cooking. I mean, how many books? Have you read them all? No. But you're giving, but you're teaching. Yes. So how, how much is there? Very basic. Yeah, very basics. The basics are great. That's where everybody needs to start. But if you went to the library and did and wanted to have a super comprehensive, you couldn't even read all the books on that one subject. One subject. What to speak of aerodynamics, what to speak of, of geology, psychology. I mean, we, we just, the knowledge is just, a cornucopia of knowledge on every little aspect of the world around us. And still, well, there's people that put lots of letters after their names and say, I'm a master of this or I'm a master of that or a school has given me a diploma and they say that I'm, I'm this accomplished. But despite all these accomplishments, these... This existence of ours, which we are simply living with an intent towards a pleasurable life and, and a fulfilling life, despite all of that, we're still confronted with the fact that birth, death, old age, disease. So that's the limit of our scientific pursuit, is it not? All of our scientific pursuit, what we call science, knowledge and science, is moving in a direction and that direction is, is all outward. But that approach is not the only approach. There is also another approach to the acquisition of knowledge. And that 
introspective approach is, well, it's no less real, but it takes it takes the same level of exploration to attain. Our tendency is to go with what we know and what we know is what we can experience. Spiritual education, and that's why we're saying these classes are an introduction to spiritual spirituality. Spiritual education spiritual inquiry, looking within is just as significant as looking without. It's no less fulfilling. It's no less pleasurable. It's nothing less than the looking without which we are accustomed to. But it also has a scientific approach to it. So that's the that is the intent of of these discussions. And what I'm going to begin with is the epistemology of or the investigation of truth that's where we're going to begin we're going to we're going to take a, an an exploration into what is truth what is the reality of truth what do we say when we mean truth now if we look to the outward world, truth is a very subjective thing. One person's truth may not align with another person's. One person's truth may not align with, with anyone else's truth from an outward inspection. Um, because why? Because our outward inspection is dependent upon our, our sensual experience, pratyaksha, they call it. It's a Sanskrit term. And those, those outward experiences vary depending on the, interest, the instrument used for the inspection or the acquisition of the knowledge. And although we all have similar tools of inspection, they're not all equal. So, if I take these off, I cannot, my seeing is not as good as someone that doesn't require glasses. If I switched my focusing to my eyes with hers, I could not see as well. So the sense of sight from everybody is different. Some people see very clearly without any assistance. Some people don't. Some people see colors very vividly 
and some people see everything in black and white. We can look at all of our tools of outward acquisition of knowledge, which would lead to a truth that we would establish. We can look to all of them and we'll see there's great variation, whether it be the hearing, the seeing, the smelling, the touching, the tasting. I mean, some people, you know, their taste buds are geared in one way, depending on their body. Some are geared in another. Look to the species of life. Uh, a giraffe enjoys eating thorns because it likes to mix it with their its blood and taste the taste of blood. Something we, we would not want to do. No one's out there biting their lips to enhance the taste of the the food that they eat, generally speaking. <laughs> so, outwardly, basically, our, our tool for acquisition of experience, which leads to a, a uh, cohesion of that experience into what we would call our truth, it varies from person to person. It varies in so many ways. It varies on our past experience. It varies on the, on the perceptibility of the senses that we've been given in this body, which are not the same as everybody else's. And if you want a valid example of this, if you want to have some, some proof to this concept, just go to a court of law. And, and you'll have people come forward and they'll swear. And they're, to them, they're saying the truth. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, you need God's help because you saw the car as blue and he saw the car as black. You saw a van and he saw a pickup truck. You saw a white man driving, and he saw a black man driving. Now, why is that? It's setting aside the fact that maybe there would be some personal interest in a deception. Most of the time, there isn't. People are actually speaking and, and swearing to what they actually perceived, but it's so much different from one to the other. So, establishment of truth is a, is a very subjective thing when it comes to what we would call sensory or um, our, sensory, our sens sensual perception of the world and our cohesion of those experiences into what we consider a rational, truthful experience. So I want to read a little bit here, and we're going to kind of walk through this uh, epistemology, and we're going to see it in relationship to, first of all, as I said, there's as much as there is science 
in the world regarding all the various aspects in minutia, which we've acquired over generations of, of human society, there is similarly a, a science that goes to the nature that is within ourselves. What we would call spiritual. Spiritual doesn't have to mean you can't you can't grasp it. It doesn't mean it walks through walls. That's not what we mean when we mean spirit. We talk of, we're talking about a level of experience beyond going out. And the great sages also have their science and their valid means of knowledge. So we've touched upon the fact that the outgoing knowledge that we can receive, it varies from person to person, and the conclusions are not consistent between societies, between uh, you know very various cultures. There's just so much difference. Therefore, we have wars. My truth is different than yours, and and you know, I I think we have the better idea, and I think you have the worse idea. So therefore, I'll impose my idea on you. So we could sit here for you know an extended period of time and look to the look to the shortcomings of uh, the outward acquisition of truth. But we're going to cut to the chase, and we're going to say. Well, what about this other spirituality? You're saying that there's just, there is an equal amount of re reality to the acquisition of a truth above and beyond what I can perceive in the world around me and what I can perceive in the books of knowledge of humanity that have been left for me in, any, in all the minutiae of all that I could look at in the world. So the topic of epistemology is that. It is, it is that science that looks to the nature of truth. So I want to share this one topic. The topic of epistemology is indispensable to an investigation of truth. For how can we claim to know anything in truth if our means of knowing uh, it be flawed or uncertain? So we've talked a little bit about the fact that there's some uncertainty to the truth that we've experienced in the world. There's some uncertainty to the, to the truth that we can rely on from our senses. You may see one way, I may see another so many ways there the consistency the the is not there so when we look to spirit is there also this same inconsistency would be the question if we if we talk about the going outwards we can know that there's come in some inconsistency if we talk about going inwards does that same inconsistency exist there. 
Well, that's, that's a very interesting subject now, isn't it? We can certainly see that some people that claim to have gone inward have different perceptions of that inward seeing than others do. So we are at a disadvantage in that regard because they can only relate to us what was available to them inward by expressing us it to us in words that are outward. So we're at a disadvantage. We don't know what they experienced. Just as we don't know what another person experiences from anything. I mean, you and I can both eat a sweet ball, but your experience of it and mine may be entirely different. If you're sick, if you're jaundiced, it's going to taste bitter. Sugar doesn't taste sweet. So, um, our inward journey is going to be centered on let's first grasp a little bit of the let's let ourselves step into what is what are those experiences that these people that actually have acquired the ability to successfully look inward what are those experiences and as i said we can judge them only from from our outward outgoing approach that's all we have but there's some consistency in what they present and there is some some true um, impetus from the way it's presented, especially here in what we're going to rely on for beginning these discussions, uh, in what's available to us. So our discussion here is based upon uh, an introduction to spiritual knowledge as presented by a great sage, uh, Jiva Goswami. And uh, it's a basic introduction to valid means of knowing, valid means of, of acquiring inward knowledge, knowledge going inward. So his basically approach is he says epistemology comes to focus solely on the discussion of a spiritual line of authority stemming from the Vedas. And we're going to go a little past that and go into an inner an inner defining of that experiential knowledge. So it says here, first of all, looking beyond the apparent reduction. Reduction means when we look out, we're, we have a reductionist 
approach. It's not this, it's not that. I, I equate this with something else. One that would seemingly require a trans-empirical leap of faith. A more profound and certain means of knowing is implied in the concept of revealed sound, subda. Other pramans, other means of acquiring knowledge, such as perception and inference. Perception means what we can take from our perceptions of the world and what we can infer based on the knowledge we've acquired relative to those perceptions. And that knowledge may not be direct. It could be, as I said, we could go to the library or we can, we can hear from somebody. Um, other permans, such as perception and inference, are possible means of valid knowing within the range of operations that define their respective limits effectively, the qualifiable and the thinkable. That's it. That's as far as we can take it. We can qualify everything that we experience and we can conjecture. Subda, on the other hand, subda means knowledge that's acquired that is beyond the range of our sensual perception, even though it's coming through the medium of sound, we can hear it, still uh, it, has, it has some specific, very unique qualities. Subda, on the other hand, signifies a supercognitive, beyond the cognition of our senses, supercognitive sound potency or logos that is transhuman, aparusheya, and thus beyond the limitations of language and thought. That is self-existing and self-revealing, trans-empirical, and that is disclosed to consciousness directly. Saksat upalabda, without mediation through any other conditional mode of knowing. So this is where we will begin to explore this spirituality, that there is a means of valid knowing, which is beyond sensual perception, which is beyond the thinking mind that can be had through direct experience. And it's not just hearing in the conventional way that we think about hearing. Generally, when we hear, it's filtered through all the knowledge that we have. It's filtered through our perceptions in so many ways. We're talking about Subda, the concept of subda that the sages are speaking of here, the content, uh, the content of the subda that has become the, the, the foundational knowledge that gives us entrance into spirituality. The sound itself is trans-empirical. It gives direct cognition 
of the self. It's realized knowledge. Just to hear it. We may not recognize what's happening, but just to hear this knowledge coming, which is beyond human, aparusaya is the Sanskrit terminology. Just to subject ourselves to this hearing will open our consciousness and grant us entrance into this spirituality. Entrance into what we would 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 want to explore, which is beyond the range of our normy normal thinking, feeling, willing. So that's where we're going in these discussions. Is can can we go there? And first, we we can only begin from where we are now, right? We're not gonna. None of us here are going to going to enter into a spiritual understanding except with the tools and the knowledge that we have at our disposal. So we are taking a leap of faith into the spiritual realm by looking at a disclosure of transcendental experience that's made available through the medium of transcendental sound. And I'm going to try to, to let us go deep enough to gain enough faith in the process of such hearing that it will afford us the opportunity from that of having the direct experiencing of the significance of these, this transcendental sound. So we have many practices in our tradition, but as I said, I want to take a very general uh, approach to this uh, to look at it. We are going to look at it through the lens of, uh, of the sages of our tradition, but I think in doing so, uh, we will not be in any way limiting limiting ourselves as to the full um, the full availability. So even though we're going through one door, one specific door into this spiritual realm, there may be other doors that can take us there. But once we're, we've entered. The, ex the transcendental experience is, for the most part, the same. And there's some nuances there, but those, those are traditional nuances that have to do with a spiritual living. First, we need to get to the threshold of the door. We need to have a means, abhideya, a means of going through that door. And then the attainments... Well, the varieties of this world pale in comparison. So are there any questions? I have an example of... Um, I've probably said this before, but I really like it. Of how um, our realities are different. So if you have three bowls of water, one is hot. One, one over here is hot. The one in the middle 
is room temperature and the one over here is cold. And you have two people. One has their hand in the hot water and they stick their hand in the room temperature water. You ask them, what temperature is this water? It's cold. Then the person that has their hand in the cold water sticks their other hand in that room temperature water. What temperature is that? It's hot. So it's like, it is the same bowl of water, but because of what's, what they're experiencing somewhere else, they're thinking that this water is hot or cold. Hmm. It's the same temperature. So yeah, our perceptions in the world, our experience in the world, our values in the world, our enjoyments in the world, all these things are, there's a myriad of those. We don't really look to those things, you know. And, uh, um, all we know is we have a sense, I have a sense, I think most of you here have a sense there's something more. Something more to life, something more to experience, something more to be had. Uh, and that drives us to spiritual inquiry. Now what I want to do is I want to focus on how can we, how can we solidify that, that drive and, and focus it and execute it through actions which truly give us an experience beyond otherwise otherwise it's just faith faith is a good beginning adao shraddha tata sadhu faith starts us faith puts us in the in the group of people that have a similar inclination sadhus they all want the same thing uh, and we sing and we dance about it together we have classes sadhu sangha uh, Bhajana Kriya, and uh, then the natural detachment you speak of, and Artha Nivriti. This is a, this is these are stages that one of our great teachers has said, Rupa Goswami, the Dhaushradha, Sadhu, Sangotha, Bhajana Kriya, Tato Nartha, Anarthas. They fall away, bad habits, things that we're attached to in life that simply end in misery, uh, and then we can start to taste. We can start to open that door into spirituality. We become steady in, in, a, in a pursuit of that spiritual life that leads in, in, in a real taste for it. And that taste, once we get it, it's ever-increasing. So, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I hope these classes can help you.